When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hot mic underway. Monday edition is here. National Championship edition of the show. Chad, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hudden. Ready for a big week? Yes. Dan Dockets will join us coming up in 20 minutes from Don't At Me here on the Outkick Network. Scott Stallings, friend of the show, friend of Outkick, and headed to Augusta National for the Masters. He will join us as he gets set to tee off on Thursday and tee off on what's going to be an exciting week with Scott Stallings 1.0 and 2.0, who will be in attendance at the practice round. Um, we'll tie all that in with Scott. That's coming up in hour two. Plus, Glenn Gilbo from OutKick.com covering the national championship game tonight with UConn and San Diego State in Houston. Chad, it's a much different vibe to this title game compared to a year ago. Kansas, North Carolina, and now UConn is a four seed against San Diego State, who knocks off Florida Atlantic. Our Owls. Yep. Uh, knock off our owls uh, by a, a last-second shot. Look, I, I've been all in on the Cinderella runs of this NCAA tournament. I love the fact that you have the, the logos and the brands in the top 25 and the top 10 especially all season long that don't look like a college basketball season top to bottom with the Blue Bloods. But I do want this game to be close. It doesn't feel like it's going to be based on how UConn is going and, and just the, the fact that they're so consistent. It's so, so many different ways they can beat you. And the vibe last year that I had was we get to see the Jayhawks and the Tar Heels and a chance for North Carolina to win a championship over Bill Self and the Jayhawks, and we know it went the other way. Point being, the anticipation for tip-off for me is... Not nearly as climactic as I want it to be for tonight's title game. And I'm here to say the refs can absolutely ruin this. They can ruin this for college basketball. Because San Diego State needs a very specific way to muddy the waters against Connecticut. And I don't think the refs are going to allow them to do that that very specific way. I hate it. And I think if, if we do get a chance to see the Aztecs play their game, it's a great national championship game. But forgive me for not feeling like this is a championship game. It is, but it's not. And I want it to be so bad. And everyone's going to point to the ratings. Everyone's going to point to the matchup. When really, it's the dominance of UConn, not who's playing in this game tonight. Agree or disagree? I, I agree with pretty much everything you're saying, and I think the refs could play a big part in this game tonight. It's crazy when you look at the historical implications of how great UConn has been in this tournament. They're the sixth team to roll to a national championship game, winning every game in the tournament by double digits. Four of the previous five won it all. Only one did not win it all. Their closest game in the tournament was in the semifinal in a game they easily won against Miami by 13 points. And prior to that, it was 15. That's like the closest game they've had <laughs> I mean, was, was that game. I mean, that's 
And there was never it was nine to two at the first media break. It was never really a game. Chad, they've outscored their opponents by 103 points in this tournament. They've been fantastic. They they have been uh, you know, coming into the tournament. I like them because their depth. I had no idea I'd have picked them to win it all had I known it was going to sure. look like this throughout this run. But UConn has been terrific. I do expect them to win tonight. But watching that San Diego State Florida Atlantic game. What a joy that was. And a, a classic example of what we previewed last week by saying, don't let the fact that people are going to talk about bad TV ratings right. affect your enjoyment of these two teams because those were just two veteran teams that were mentally and physically very tough, very strong, grinding each other into sand over the course of that game. And I enjoyed every second of it. That second half was terrific. San Diego State made their run. FAU was up double digits at one point. You knew it was going to be a great finish. And then Lamont Butler with the finish. First time in the history of the Final Four that a buzzer beater decides it with the team trailing when they shot the final shot. And and I, I, I did not think they were going to make this happen. I'm watching that live like everyone else, and I'm thinking, he's not even going to get it off. You know, when he was kind of dribbling, backing in, Three seconds, two seconds, every kid's dream. Turn around, shoot the 15-footer, and it was pure the moment he released it. What a game. What, and you mentioned the finish. Even more than just the buzzer beater, the game was 56-42 to 42 with 14 minutes left. And it's 72-71 finish. What a run to the national championship for San Diego State. And I'm going to ask Dan Dockett's this coming up in, in 15 minutes. I felt like Dusty May overcoached in the final seconds of that game mm. with the timeouts and the overthinking of things when we have not seen Florida Atlantic throughout this tournament do that. And I felt like they did, and it gave the Aztecs that chance. They averaged a little over 1,400 fans per game this year. Yeah. Florida Atlantic. Their gym seats less than 3,000. Yeah, their, their attendance has been awful. And I'm, I'm, but I'm watching them in Madison Square Garden where we saw them live. <laughs> I, know, I know. And then in front of 70,000 people at NRG Stadium, they, these guys aren't phased by any of it. I mean, it's like the, the Gene Hackman and Hoosiers when they take him to Butler Fieldhouse and they have to, you know, measure the, the rims. I'm it, thinking this is a college basketball team in the biggest tournament in college sports. And they may have had to measure rims when they got to different <laughs> places to show them that, hey, this is what big time basketball is like. But they were a big-time basketball team that played in a terrible, tiny little gym that are now moving up to the American Athletic Conference. I know there's going to be facility improvements oh, at Florida Atlantic, sure. but they get most of those guys back. Four of five starters will be back for Florida Atlantic. I'm excited to watch this team it's, now in the transition. There's going to be a learning curve. But it's They're a, not going to walk into that conference where, and dominate no. the way they did Conference USA. But, but Hutton, you was, know this. Conference USA was really good this year yes, when you look at some of those teams. Very competitive. Yeah. But, but also, Florida Atlantic, I mean, they can walk into a tournament and compete. So there's no reason why they can't walk into the AAC and do the same thing. A level up, but also a level up financially. Yep. They go from about half a million for the TV rights to around six million. For each school. That's and I don't, know what, I don't know what their campus is like or what the school is like, but I can tell you what Boca Raton is like, and it is amazing. So it's an area where there's, first off, there's a lot of athletes in South Florida with stones throw away, but it, it's not a bad spot to recruit to if you're Dusty May. So maybe this is a program that we're witnessing now with some staying power. Chad, and speaking of ratings, 
maybe they're down for the final four in men and down for the championship game tonight. Not the case in the women's game. And that was what dominated social media Friday night and again yesterday as we saw LSU, and they hit everything. LSU over Iowa. And I'm here to tell you because I've done a show with Chad now for like 13 years. He doesn't watch the women's sport all that much. And I'm watching the Final Four in the championship game, and that's pretty much it, like the majority of America. But when I see the ratings, and then I see Chad say, you know what? There's a player on the floor that gave me a reason to tune in. What a great weekend for women's college basketball. And it, it didn't include UConn and Tennessee and the, or South Carolina, who Iowa beat and snapped the 42-game winning streak. I know we're going to get into the Angel Reese, the taunting or yeah. not taunting and all, all that. The, look, a bit of controversy is good for the sport. So of course. Happy to talk about it. And I, yeah. I, I kind of like this story a lot. And you're right, Hutton. You know me well. Um, I, full disclosure, you could have said Caitlin Clark in on February 15th. Right. And I, you could have been describing uh, an actress in the latest Netflix series to me. I'd have no idea who Caitlin Clark was. No idea. I started watching her, at least paying attention, when I started hearing her name and seeing what was happening in the NCAA tournament. Had no idea Iowa had a player this good. That's how little I pay attention to women's college basketball. And I've been on the forefront of saying the sport has diminished over the years. The sport of my childhood that I would watch, I grew up in a small town where girls basketball was the sport. That was the sport where we were most successful in high school. Multiple state championships, state tournaments. Girls basketball is a big deal in the state of Tennessee because of Pat Summit, And it was a big deal in my hometown. I think the sport's gotten worse over the years. I think too many women try to play the game like men. And when they do that, it's not as good. The beauty of women's basketball is the shooting ability, how fundamentally sound it was for years. And that has not been the case in recent years. But I tuned in this Final Four. Caitlin Clark is a show. I've never seen anything like it. The best description I can make is a little bit of a mix of Diana Taurasi at UConn, Shamiqua Holdsclaw at Tennessee, but she's quicker. She's fast. One of the quickest first steps I've ever seen in the women's game. And the catch and shoot. The catch and shoot, the behind-the-back dribble, Steph Curry-level range, quick release on some threes. She is a show. I, I was drawn into this tournament just watching her play. What a terrific story and an amazing player and a run that, let's face it, she's surrounded by, I mean, compared to South Carolina and LSU, I don't want to diss these girls. That's rec level, level players. That's YMCA level players she's playing with compared to those teams. And she beat, and I say she because let's face it, she did it. <laughs> Iowa did it with the surrounding cast, but she did it. And she wants to talk about her double. team. She beat South Carolina, who was 36-0 coming into that game. 42 straight. Incredible. National, defending national champion, all those things to get to the championship game. So, I was drawn in by Caitlin Clark. I have not had that much fun watching women's basketball in a long time, and I was not alone. 6.6 .6 million people at its height watched that late night, Friday night, national semifinal game between Iowa and, uh, and South Carolina with Iowa winning. Now, I tuned into the second half after running around a little bit on Sunday of that LSU-Iowa game. Hutton, I tuned in mid-run where they were down 21 and they went on a 14-0 run or whatever it was, yeah. Iowa, 
and that's when things got a little testy late. I thought the technical foul on Clark was stupid. I mean, this is this is where you get too if you worship a technicality too much, it can blind you from common sense in sports. And I think officials do this from time. I understand the explanation. Here's the explanation. Iowa was warned for a delay of game because they knocked the ball away after the ball went through the basket. And you can get warned for this. If you're trying to set up a defense or slow a team down, you can't take the ball and hit it somewhere else so they can't inbound it. They got warned for it. So on a technicality, Caitlin Clark got a technical because in a little bit of frustration, she sort of tossed the ball aside behind her back on, when the, when the a foul was, was. You can't do that. I know that the refs aren't sitting there thinking, oh, this is the star player, or this is a senior, and that's foul number four. I can't call it. You just can't call it in that heated moment of a national championship game. I thought that was a miserable call by the officials. The Angel Reese thing, Hutton, I think this is not unlike so many moments in sports where we see athletes and coaches put anything into their brain for motivation. And I guarantee you Kim Mulkey is showing on repeat Caitlin Clark doing the John Cena, you can't see me thing to the Louisville bench or whatever, whoever she was doing it to. It was Louisville. They put that on repeat. She sold the fact that here is this great white hope of a player that everyone's comparing to Larry Bird, and she's America's princess and America's darling, and no one likes you. They've counted you out all year. I'm sure some idiot put something stupid in Angel Reese's timeline that she took a screenshot of and she saved. I think too much is being made of, you know, the media and everyone out there. And you said that we were too ghetto and we were too hood and we were this. I I didn't see that from the media all year about LSU basketball. But I guarantee you some idiot probably put that posted that to them and they use that as motivation. But that was Don Staley's comments post game after the final four loss from South Carolina was that, you know, and and the the coach from Iowa did say pre uh, before playing South Carolina that it was going to be a street fight. And Staley post-game reference, you know, we're not thugs. Uh, we play the game the right way. And then she didn't specifically mention Iowa. She, she mentioned the media and, and how, like, we know what you're saying behind our backs. And that led into the championship game against LSU where you also had Caitlin Clark with the, the uh, step back, not defending the player with the, with the ball uh, for, for Louisville outside the three, which would be no different than what Dennis Rodman faced back in the day, you know? Or Bruce Bowen, uh, who was known for being a great defender. Couldn't shoot. And they wanted him to shoot because the better players didn't have the basketball in their hand. It, it, to me, it was no different than that. And your comment about it wants to be, it, it, the sport itself wants to be more like the men's game and it's not close to it. The trash talk that we saw over the weekend and the coverage of it was very similar. And... The only difference is in the men's game now, Draymond Green can have 14 technicals in a season, and it's just kind of an afterthought in a, a you know page six headline. And it's not the front page uh, headline that it would have been a decade ago. And now, it, that's just the, the era that we're in. And it's, you know, for, for a sport that just got record ratings in back-to-back games, uh, the discussion about the you can't see me and pointing to the ring finger, I mean... Steph Curry has done and said worse. And that, to me, is the biggest, uh, the biggest point of we've seen this before, and I don't mind the trash talk. 
I, I really don't because the, I, I think too the much champion, is being made out of the it. champion gets the last call here, and that's what happened. Especially after Caitlin Clark in Iowa, they were doing it along the way. Well, let me say this: I think too much is being made about the Angel Reese part of this. I think Angel Reese is making too much out of this too. I think we've probably taken something that some anonymous idiot on Twitter posted, and she has now extrapolated that out to say all of you disrespect the media yeah. calls us hood and ghetto, and you've disrespected us. And didn't want us to win. That's just that's, but that's natural competitor athlete talk, coach talk. Kim Mulkey in her post game interview was saying, "You guys don't like our attitude of our team, but I don't care. I like players like this. We're ballers, and I'm the same way. I've got a different personality, and we're ballers. I'm fine with all of that if that's the personality you want to have. I'll also say, I can't think of an example of anyone in sports going directly to someone as respected as Caitlin Clark or anyone and flaunting that way when winning a title. You know, there's a lot of trash talk that happens over the course of a game or you hit a three on someone, you do something, words are exchanged, fights happen. What Caitlin Clark did in one swoop of the face that was captured by ESPN towards either her bench, the scores table, or one Louisville player, I can't really tell is quite a bit different than Angel Reese following her around the court when the seconds are ticking off, trying to get her attention to show her what she's doing and pointing to the ring on her finger that she'll now have. So the two are not equal. Again, I think too much is being made of the Angel Reese thing. I wouldn't want my player doing that. Now, that's how they thrive. That's what LSU recruits. That's what they want personality-wise, attitude-wise. They just want a national title. I'm not one to begrudge that if that's what you want. I'm saying personal preference. If I'm the coach, I probably just say, hey, you bring that all 40 minutes that you want. We're up 17 with 14 seconds left. Probably not necessary to follow the girl around the court doing right. this, seeing if she'll turn around and acknowledge you. And Caitlin Clark was so tunnel vision to get to the handshake line, she didn't even acknowledge what was going on. So that was a little too much, too. We will get into more of this, plus preview tonight's national championship game between San Diego State and UConn. Dan Dockage is next. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow rolls on. We live in a land of participation trophies. That is not the case with Coach Chad Withrow. He'll explain coming up. Hot Mike rolls on with Gotta Hutton and Withrow. Gotta earn it, I love it, man. Gotta I earn love it. it. Dan Dockage earned it. Now he refuses to be added on social media. Don't at me with Dan Dockett. Added. Uh, I like that. Added. Added. Yeah, added. Added. Do not at him. Uh, Dan, welcome in. Hope things are well. Yeah, things are great. People aren't doing that, though. They are adding me, and I don't like it. I'm not going to be John <laughs> Feinstein, though. I'm not going to be Feinstein and jump off Twitter. Feinstein and I were friends, and then Feinstein, for whatever the reason, in the last two years started coming at me about – my playing career, we had a conversation, which I loudly ended our friendship. So, uh, yeah, good for John Feinstein. He get off Twitter. Nobody will be adding him. So, there you go. He, so, John Feinstein was a longtime guest on our show, Dan. And I, I love his books. Love the book that you're a part of. I love A Civil War. And uh, when we came to OutKick, I did not even ask if he wanted to continue because I knew what the answer would be, given his thoughts about Clay and, and everything else. And one day he sends me a text that just says, 
oh, now I know why you didn't get in touch with me because you're over there working for that scumbag such and such doing this and that. And I just put, I gave it a thumbs up and I said, it's nice knowing you, John. I appreciate you joining us for so many years. Thank we, you. Good luck to you. And, and we actually paid our guests too, uh, Dan. How about that? Yeah, it was great. Man, I, uh, John and I go way back. He, he, uh, we hung out almost every night when uh, he was writing season on the break. I was a grad assistant. I used to take him to the bars. He used to hang out. We stayed friends for a long time. I've helped him. He's helped me. And uh, uh, But our, our friendship ended. Actually, when he was had a book, I said, look, uh, come on. You got, come on both of my shows, Outkick and the one in Indy. He said, I'll come on the one in Indy. I go, what's the problem? He didn't call anybody a scumbag. But he started, he started, yeah, he started bothering me. And so I called him up. I said, what are you doing? Uh, we started shouting, dropped some bombs on him. He dropped some <laughs> bombs on me and uh, that'll do her. Dan Dockage <laughs> with us. He joins us each Monday at this time. Dan, well, I'm going to get to the championship game in a moment. Chad and I were discussing uh, the women's final four and the championship game yesterday. What was it? What was the dynamic of this final four for the women's game that produced the ratings we saw? Well, I think it was Caitlin Clark. I, I think that she uh, captured the imagination of, of not only, you know, women basketball fans, but everybody. I mean, pros, you know, LeBron, guys are texting her or are tweeting about her. People were talking about her. Did you see this? Did you see that? I think she set the tone. I, look, we've had great women players before. I mean, don't quite Maya Moore, Diana Taurasi. I mean, we had great players, but I don't think anybody captured because of the shots she was making um, and how she was going about it. Uh, I don't think anybody captured the whole country like her. And, you know, South Carolina, it was a perfect storm. South Carolina's the number one team in the country. They're, you know, they're tough, I guess. She doesn't want to be called tough, so I, I guess they're polite young ladies uh, playing for <laughs> South Carolina. And they were taking on, you know, the star, and the number one team goes down. We always liked that. And But I thought it got ru – not ruined. I, I, referees didn't cost – the game, but I thought it was just absolutely abysmal what happened yesterday with the officiating in the game and took a little bit away from it. But I got to tell you, if I am in charge of women's basketball in the NCAA, the first game next year is going to be LSU against Iowa. Put it in Madison Square Garden or put it in a dome. Let's get this thing off right because that'd be epic. Wouldn't mind it one bit. And I, I guess if, I'm, I'm glad you just mentioned one player there is the reason. Because if I'm overseeing the sport, I'm thinking, man, if it's one player that produced this, it's time to lean into what we saw in the Final Four, which was some animosity, some trash talk. I, I don't think some, you know, uh, disagreements uh, af on social media after a result is bad for women's basketball like it's being treated. Oh, I think it's great for women's basketball. Look, wh whether you agree... Uh, w with what Reese did, or you don't. That's great. Seems to be divided along racial lines, and that's fine too. But the truth of the matter is, you know what? When you see real passion in a sport, that's yeah. when it gets serious. You know, that's when it's like, whoa, wait a second. And not that they haven't had it before. Like, you know, you guys know I'm a huge women's athletics fan because of my wife, my stepdaughter, and I enjoy it. But I don't think the nation saw the real angst, right? The real chip on their shoulder. We're out here to, and then the aftermath of it. I, I think the nation got to see it as opposed to, 
you know, a lot of people, because ratings have been good over the last couple of years, but this took to, this took it to a whole new level. And here we are, you know, on your show and my show and shows across the country talking about it and probably be talking about it tomorrow. Yeah. Kim Mulkey with her fourth national title, three at Baylor and now one at LSU in year number two. And Dan, talking about what's good for the sport from an attention standpoint, uh, I can't help whether I agree or disagree with her at times. You can't take your eye off that woman. The outfits, what she might say at halftime, what she might say post game, or to the refs. I think she, yes, the <laughs> screaming matches with the officials. I think she's terrific for the sport. Unbelievably great for the sport. No, no question about it. I mean, look, the outfits. I had a bunch of you know my buddies going, ah, she's all me, me, me. I yeah. go, hey, look. When you coach it as well as she coaches it, why do you think Bob Knight wore a plaid jacket? I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, a lot, you know, in college basketball, I always said this, college basketball is about the coaches. The coaches are like different WWE characters. You know, the general, Mr. March. You know, I forget what Dean Smith was called. Maybe the Dean, I don't know. But everybody had their little names. Uh, same thing. So now in women's basketball, you know, Dawn Staley, she's creating rivalries wherever she's going. She's blanking people off. Uh, Kim Mulkey is, but I will tell you this, Kim Mulkey's game plan against Caitlin Clark was so much better than uh, Dawn Staley's. Dawn Staley basically said she's going to beat us. Uh, when you watch the both games, Dawn Staley held the wings, meaning her, her defensive players on the offensive wing players for Iowa, they stayed locked in. And what happened was when Caitlin Clark would miss a couple threes five or six times, she just got to the rim. There wasn't no in getting to the rim yesterday. Kim Mulkey had a hell of a game plan. Fellas, something to watch tonight. When you can take away the lane, you take away the lane on the drive or in the post, you make it very difficult, and you still contest jump shots, that's great defense. Actually, that's what Florida Atlantic did really well. They just got beat in the end. It's what San Diego State does really well. It's what last night LSU did incredibly well. And, and UConn does it pretty well. So just something to watch. South Carolina did it awful, horrendous, and got beat because of it. Dan, I, I said to begin, I, if, if San Diego State's going to win a very specific way. UConn can win multiple ways, right? The refs can ruin this from being a very close game early on, right? Am I wrong? What did you say? The what? Can the make refs, it a close game? the officials. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, look. Um, UConn's the best team. UConn's played better basketball in this tournament, in my opinion, than anybody I've seen play at any point all year long. I mean, their average margin of victory is over 22 points. They're just blasting people. However, having said that, though, Foul trouble to Sonogo. They do have two of everything. Uh, shots made by Bradley like he did. The kid left-handed kid for San Diego State. And, of course, officiating. How are they going to call it? You know, both teams are pretty physical. The game San Diego State against Charleston was like, holy cow. I hope they let him play like that. They weren't going to call foul unless you whack somebody on the arm in the act of shooting. I hope they let him play tonight. I do think this. I think San Diego State is going to have to score in the mid-70s okay. to win the game. I don't, think, I don't think they can hold UConn to, you know, in the low 60s, uh, high 50s. I think UConn's just got too much. Um, now, whether San Diego State can do it, who knows? I'll tell you a great story, though. The kid in the middle, the kid Lede for San Diego State, he was at Ohio State when my son was on staff. And what a great kid. 
and a great mother. Like I had an unbelievable chat with the mom uh, at practice one day, just in the, in the foyer. And I didn't realize he had transferred there. It's his third school, and he was just doing work the other day. That work that he did in the middle of the lane is going to be much more difficult because there are not one, but two massive dudes for UConn. And if they don't get that from Lede, it's going to be a struggle for San Diego State tonight. Dan Dockett's with us. I, I, maybe I'm just way off base here. I, I always – I can – view a, a, a way a guy of mannerisms on a court or on a field and say, okay, this guy's locked in or uh, he's, he's going to miss the kick or it, this is going to go against them. San Diego State's going to get the ball. They got a chance to win. I thought the timeouts at the end for FAU and just the overthinking of the situation led to what we saw. Again, during the timeout, I'm thinking eh, they're, they're talking way too much as if they've got, they're down one instead of up one. And I thought they rushed things. Yeah, that could be. You know, it's always tough. Um, I always say this about those things. You know, unless you're in that huddle or unless you really know your team, it's really hard because I, I was always very, very careful broadcasting games to say who should get the shot or when a coach should or shouldn't call a timeout at the end of the game. I, I'll be honest with you. You look in guys' eyes, and sometimes, like Johnny Davis or Janelle Davis, he wasn't there. Like, he wasn't there all game. Uh, he, he, had, he was lost into himself, and that really hurt Florida Atlantic. But I'm always a little bit careful to criticize, because if you don't know, like you got to look at some guys, and, and you're, you know your team, you've seen it almost 40 times, man, this timeout, we need this timeout. You know, let's be honest, the bottom line, uh, and, and, and again, I almost say it every time, make the shot, you're a hero. You move sure. on, miss the shot. We're talking about Dusty. It's amazing. I swear to God, it's amazing how at least one game in the Final Four comes down. Hopefully tonight we'll see another one just like that. Dan, a couple of coaching questions for you from late in this game. I know it worked out for San Diego State, but I'm screaming at the TV to foul when there's only a six, seven-second differential late in the game on that. Were you doing the same? But I did agree. Once you get the ball, I always like – sort of the broken court setup and not taking a timeout and instead playing it out and seeing if you can have an advantage and not letting the defense set up. What did you make of that final sequence? Yeah, you know, I'm with you on that. I'm sitting there going, man, six seconds. You know, all right, almost the best thing to do is make a shot or get fouled if you're FAU, right? Second best thing to do is to dang near – hold the ball and take a 30-second shot clock violation because now you shoot a shot, you rebound it, now everybody's moving down the court. If you, if you have six seconds and you make them start with their backs, you know, coming back to the basketball. But I get – yeah, I, I – that was a gutsy move. I was going to say a word I probably shouldn't. That was a <laughs> gutsy move. And then on the other side, this is really weird with San Diego State. Their only, their only double-digit score is Mark Bradley, left-handed kid. He was not in the game. He's never in the game at the end like that. I've watched them so many times, and they say, well, Bradley and another kid, I can't remember his name, are out. So what you've done is you have taken out your best score, and the kid who was a, a hot early guy made a couple buckets in the second half, and you're saying, all right, I thought they would get the ball back, call timeout, get Bradley and the other kid in. They didn't, but they got it to the right guy. The all-time leading scorer at Reggie Miller's school, I guess. 
and he stroked a perfect, a picture perfect jump shot. Here's the thing you look at as a coach after it all clears and you're sitting down there and you've watched the possession. If you can stomach watching the possession, if you're dusty May, you go, how many times out of 10 do they score in this possession? I guarantee it isn't much because think about it. Not only do you got to get down in six seconds, not only was their defense pretty set, but, but it's a huge event in a dome for crying out loud. So credit the kid Butler, credit the team that won. Uh, kid made a great shot. And uh, you know what? In, in Dusty May and all those kids' life, they'll be thinking about that, I think, forever. I would. I still think about four shots or four plays for, cost me games different points in my life now. And I'm old. Dan, I don't want to crown UConn yet before the game is played, but it does feel like, to me, this is very sustainable for, for Dan Hurley and what he's built at UConn and this thing could continue rolling on. Were there going to be a factor in that national championship hunt year in and year out? What, what do you think about him as a coach and what is building there at UConn? Well, I think he's evolved. He even said he's been yelling at the officials too much. My friend Seth Greenberg is kind of – a mentor of his, uh, and this is going back, I don't know, three or four, you know, years. And it's always been one thing, Danny, you got to learn to control yourself. Danny, you got to coach your team. Danny, you can't worry about what the reps or the other coach or what one of your players is. You got to coach your team. And I think Danny's really done a good job of that. You know, I, I, I may have said this last week on this show. He, he has had uh, only one player from, uh, I think, last year's team leave, a kid named Gaffney that went to Florida Atlantic. And he coaches hard. Like, he drops the big bombs on players. He's just tip, not tippy-toeing around. He drops the mothers on them, you know what I mean? And makes them work incredibly hard. But he developed an operation where they love it. And you got to credit. You know, it, it, it's not a – I don't know. It, it, it's, it's not a, everybody gets a trophy operation there. And I do think it's sustained. He's gone into stores, which is an incredible basketball town, Incredible basketball city. And if he wins tonight, I want you to think about this. Three different coaches have won national championships there in the last 10 years or 12 years, I guess it is. It would be Danny Hurley, uh, Ollie, and Jim Calhoun. That's unbelievable in a town like that. That is not a recruiting mecca. That is not a, hey, look, I got to go to Stores, Connecticut to enhance my life. They've done an amazing job with basketball in that place. Hell, in Indiana, where we, we think we built basketball, we haven't won a national championship since 1987, and we've had 17 different coaches or however the hell many it's been. It's sustainable there. Is it sustainable with Miami, or is it just John Ruiz that's making that what it is? Yeah, I think John Ruiz makes that sustain. I mean, uh, everybody that I talk to tells me that this transfer portal is not about, hey, look, how do I fit? You know, guys, it used to be if you were going to transfer, you were going where you could play. I mean, that's it. I, I, look, I, I, where am I playing? And even when they had the fifth-year transfer before the transfer portal, it was where can I go that I can play, period. Well, now it's, hey, well, how much money you got for me? I've had so many coaches tell me it's not covert, it's over. It's just like, hey, what kind of deal can I get here? So John Ruiz becomes an incredibly important part of what's going on. And you saw the results of it. I mean, those twin girls led the team to what? An elite eight. Yep. Uh, they were terrific. He got banged for his buck. Other teams are sitting around here going, wait a second. I want a John Ruiz. Give me the list. Who can we get? 
Uh, it's again, it's it's not covert. It is out there, right in front and in people's faces. So that becomes a big deal. You know, a great test case for NIL is going to be Caitlin Clark next year at Iowa because she's not going to go pro early to the WNBA. She's got one year left at Iowa. And I'm thinking watching her, if she gets back in this situation where they're a high seed a year from now, that's the type of person that could really benefit from companies using her as endorsements and making a lot of money. I wonder how much more money she could make in one year at Iowa than in a career in the WNBA, or if that would even be possible or close to it. You know, I don't know, but I know this. Iowa is a pretty good place for the NIL, people are telling me. Columbus, Ohio is great because they have all those businesses there. I'll tell you this, if you're Caitlin Clark, right, and you walk into the AD and the coach's office and say, look, I want seven mil. I I saw the gymnast at um, LSU is making whatever she's making, three mil. I saw, uh uh-uh, I want four or five mil. Now, I'll stay, but I want four or five mil, and then my people are calling John Ruiz going, hey, John, how about – Four or five mil. I mean, I she wouldn't do that, okay? I mean, she. I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like she would do that. But what are they going to say? Well, I, mean, I, mean, I don't know about four or five mil. The, the top salaries in the WNBA are what? Like 300000 I'm, I'm looking on at it three, right now. On yeah. three has her NIL evaluation at 192000 Caitlin Clark. That's second yep. only to the Cavender right. Twins what? at 700 yeah, three, grand. Three players, by the way, are tied in the WNBA for most money, biggest salary, and it's all about $228,000. So, all yeah, right. I was thinking right. more along the lines of could she make five hundred grand right. at Iowa, right? Double no, that. I'll tell you this. I had a lawyer from Tuscaloosa, and the young lady is a family friend. Uh the pitcher, Montana Fouts. I had a Tuscaloosa lawyer told me Montana Fouts, the pitcher for uh, Alabama, makes a mil a year. Now, I don't know what's reported in these things. I don't know what the NIL is. I'm just telling you what a lawyer from Tuscaloosa told me going back. Don't know if he's right. We're talking about two different things. Dan, we're talking about two different things. What I'm talking about is legitimate NIL. I'm saying Gatorade, Nike, they could all go to Caitlin Clark and pay her a ton. Could, yeah. Iowa's not going to step up and pay pay her much money, or boosters won't for women's basketball like they will at Alabama or other places. I'm saying she. this is a good test to see about legitimate NIL, making endorsement money for what she's done. Well, that could be, but I'll, I'll tell you this. Iowa women's basketball, for a long, 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 long time in the high school ranks, they played three-on-three. And really, it was the most popular sport in the entire state. So I'm just telling you, Caitlin Clark, uh, in that state, from there, with the history of women's basketball in that state, it's really, it's unlike any other. Um, Yeah, I don't know the difference, I guess. Maybe I got to research it on, on legitimate and illegitimate NIL money. But I know this, when I read some of these folks in women's athletics are worth 3.5 or whatever it is, I'm saying hang on, Sloopy, because this woman has made more money for more people um, than any gymnast from LSU or any set of twins at Miami who are really, really ranked high, maybe the highest. I'm just saying, uh, legitimate, I don't know. And I think most coaches will tell you there's no such thing uh, as – 
as legitimate and illegitimate because, frankly, there's nobody monitoring uh, the entire deal, the entire situation. Well, and, and at the start of the women's season in October, she inked a, a contract with Nike along with Bronny James. So she's already got that. She's got Instagram posts with Buick, Bose, and She's a making money for company. sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's Dan. Dan Donkins, don't at me. Uh, making it rain. Mornings, 9 a.m. Eastern. Dan, always appreciate you, man. A great show today as always, and we'll be watching tomorrow morning. Hey, thanks for everything you guys do for us, man. I appreciate you guys coming on. Chad, great stuff today, and thanks for having me, fellas. Always enjoy having you on too, Dan. Thank you. When we come back, uh, a story that Dan would be proud of, and it has to do with Withrow. It's Chad not handing out participation trophies and not handing out what would be a prize based on what's at stake tonight for his team. And I'm sure that Odell Beckham Jr. would disagree with you on this. He needs to get paid and paid now. It's a lesson in humility. But he doesn't want anyone knowing exactly how much he wants to sign a one-year contract. All that straight ahead on Hot Mike. Got a little accent over here. I know. My, I spilled my water. Thank you, it's just water, and uh, most of it was ice. Got to hold your water. That's right. Um, Chad, Odell Beckham Jr. needs to hold his water on the contract. He office. does. I'll, I don't know why he's getting upset. Uh, the latest report, uh, Duff Kleiman put out that Odell's, uh, you're good, David, yeah, looking for $15 million a year, and that's coming from Rich Samini, who covers the Jets. I, I don't know why that's such an issue with Odell. One year, $15 million. He's not going to get that now. I think that's, that's the problem that Odell has with it. I, it also was an, you know, an April Fool's, uh, not an April Fool's, but an April 1st report. So he's saying, hey, a- April 1st was yesterday. Uh, retweeting it. Don't read into this. And he's done that before with the other money that he was looking at. But... I don't, I don't know if a team's going to reach out and do that right now based on the fact you have the draft coming up and then you reset where you are depth-wise at the position and then that's when Odell Beckham Jr. comes in, right? And the market is in the favor of the teams right now, not with Odell Beckham. And, and by well, the he's way... He's in no rush. The, the Jets seem to be the team that everyone's talking about. The team that makes the most sense to me is Kansas City. Look at what Patrick Mahomes did without Tyreek Hill. He threw for 5,000 yards for the second time in his career, the third quarterback to do it. They just lost Juju Smith-Schuster. I, if I'm Odell Beckham Jr., I'm wanting to play in Kansas City, not in New York. Yeah, I, either one. I mean, look, if you're Odell Beckham Jr. at this point in your career, you won a Super Bowl with Matthew Stafford. I know he got injured in that, that season. But you want to play with the best quarterback you can play with right. to go try to win a title. Yep. So who has he not played with at this point in his career? Well, there's two guys right there, Patrick Mahomes, and then you've got uh, Aaron Rodgers, two guys he hasn't played with yet where you know you can get on the same page with those guys quickly. He is a pro. We saw that with the Rams when he joined the team, and he was immediately productive. So that is the intrigue. If I were him, the money's going to be there, and it, there's no rush to him. Like you said, Hutton, you wait a little bit, and the market will be more in your favor. 
but go play with one of those two guys and go win a Super Bowl. Well, and I think the other reason he's sensitive to the number being out there is he knows he's not going to get that number. So it's going to be, oh, he signed for significantly less than what he wanted or was asking for, when really he's just going to sign top dollar for whatever the market dictates. Smith Schuster, I believe, had a $9 million one-year contract. And he turned that into a $33 million deal where 22 of it was guaranteed. Um, 20, and and theoretically, you know, if he does what the Jets are hoping Aaron Rodgers can do with this right, offense, right. he can parlay the same deal same in, thing. In with the Jets. Go in there, produce big one year, they win big, and then you got options. Some great uh, April Fool's Day comments on social media. You had the, the one from the St. Louis Battlehawks uh, in the XFL that – trolled or tried to saying that released a statement that they were relocating to Los Angeles. That was my favorite. Uh, an official statement from the team. That was great, especially giving the sentiment of St. Louis to the city of angels. Um, and then you had uh, Caleb Love going to Duke <laughs> from the transfer portal. Which that was, one looked very real the way it was yeah. posted. And he also, he also put out there that really April fools. Well, wh- handled well by Caleb Love, unless it's, actually true uh, that he's transferring to the rival. I doubt that would be the case. Headlines next, including Mike Gundy.